Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're going to start a new series this week called White Christmas. We played a little Bing Crosby for you as you walked in this morning. I'm convinced that the series is going to apply not just to a few of you. I'm convinced this applies to all of us. We all need this. You know, sometimes you go and the, the guy teaches or speaks and you think, well, that's okay, but that doesn't really apply to me. You can always get something from a message. Even if it's just downloading it so you can pass it on to somebody else who needs it, there's always something in it for you. You, you need to always try to lock in if you can. We're going to take the opportunity over the next several weeks to talk about the, the topic of forgiveness. Now, just let me say that if when I said we are doing a series on forgiveness, if you bristled at that, you probably need this sermon series. If you heard just now that I was going to preach a sermon on forgiveness and you went... <clears throat> you probably need a sermon series on forgiveness. If, if I said we are going to do a sermon series on forgiveness and you said to yourself, oh man, I don't want to, that's not a Christmas thing, then you probably need to hear a sermon series on forgiveness. And you might ask yourself, why in the world would we talk about forgiveness at Christmas time? Actually, Christmas time is one of the best times because the problems are more pronounced in our lives and in our relationships at Christmas time than at any other time. Now, I don't think that, that we have more problems or more pain during Christmas than at other times. I just think that the season, somehow something happens that it just kind of highlights that frustration or it highlights the pain and it highlights the problems that we have. And studies would bear this out. Studies indicate that there are more suicides between Thanksgiving and Christmas than the other 11 months combined. That's what happens at this time of year. It's just, for some people, this is, a, this is a very difficult time to get through. And so, you know, we feel our pain, we feel these serious hurts and wounds, and it comes during this season. And the Bible says that the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to kill your joy, he wants to kill your relationships, he wants to isolate you. But Jesus came that you might have life and that you might have it, what the Bible calls, abundantly. And for a lot of people, you know, that's just a cool verse and it's not really a reality in their life. So what would it look like if we were to have a white Christmas? And I'm not talking about snow on the ground on Christmas Day. Some, the kids would love that. Most of the parents are like, you know, can do without that. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. What would it look like if we were to really experience a condition of our heart where we could say, maybe for the first time, man, I'm different. I am, I am not in a prison of hurt anymore. I don't have all these wounds. It, I'm different. And, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, I'm just like you. I've, I've had some, some things, you know, where I've felt that way and, and thought, man, I just wish it could be white again. I just wish it was... Um, I, I wish things could be different. I'm just like you. I need series like this as much as you do. And, and I've been in ministry now for over 25 years. I am very well aware of people's pain. You guys come and talk to me. We make appointments. We sit down and talk. I hear how you've been hurt. I hear your struggles. I hear how someone has hurt you. I've prayed with many of you and listened as you talk about the battles in your life and the things that haven't gone well and how you want things to be better. This stuff is very real. We have hurting people in our church. Every church has them. It's, it's, our, it's what life is. We have things that come up. And so I hope that what I do over the next three weeks doesn't really sound like 
sermons, I hope it doesn't come off as preaching to you. I really hope that all the time. I don't really want to be that guy, but instead, I hope I sound more like someone who loves you because I do love you. I hope I sound like somebody who can identify with your hurts and your pains because I can identify with your hurts and your pains. And I hope that I can bring you some practical teaching. I hope that you can hear from Jesus through some of the things that we might share over the next several weeks. As he molds your life, as he changes you, as he makes you white again, as you experience a white Christmas. Now let let me just say, I would like for you to resist the urge during this series to apply this to someone else, okay? Like, like maybe the person you feel has offended you. You're like, man, I wish they could hear that sermon. No, they didn't hear the sermon. You heard the sermon. So you, you need to be applying it to you. I want you to instead to open up yourself and invite God to come into your life and to change the things that need to be changed in you so that your life, your relationships will glorify Christ. What I want to offer is going to be countercultural okay i'm just going to tell you that it's going to be counterintuitive you're 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 going to buck you're not going to want to do some of it for most of us these are brand new ideas as they relate to the topic of forgiveness but i desperately want you to experience a white christmas this year so let me ask you this question just to start let's have a little fun how many of you have a smartphone let me see the hands of all the people who have smartphones okay keep them up keep them up how many of you have apps on your smartphone keep them up keep them up How many of you have this app on your smartphone? Wow. Rough Christmas for Angry Birds. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of you know what Angry Birds are? Have played Angry Birds on your phone? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's uh, Angry Birds has lost uh, market share, it sounds like, but if you've never played Angry Birds, let me explain this game to you. The, these birds, they're angry, okay? They, they really are angry. Um, they're really upset. They, they are on a mission of revenge against these pigs who have stolen their eggs. That's right. It's serious. And, and so they, what they do to get revenge on these pigs is they launch themselves at these houses that these pigs live in and knock down the house and try to kill the pig. Now, the problem with that is, is that they also kill themselves when they launch themselves into these houses. So in an effort to kill the pigs, they get that done, but they're also killing themselves. And what, what else is kind of ironic about this game is that, you know, you can do this, you can kill these pigs, and you think you got them all wiped out, then you go to another level, you got more pigs to kill, right? And this thing just never seems to end. You're just hurling yourself at this building, killing yourself, trying to kill the pigs. Now, this, that's such an ironic picture, and millions of people have played this game and been entertained by this game, Angry Birds. But you know what? For many of us, that's life. For many of us, that's kind of what our, you would say, well, Brett, you just described my life. In our attempt at revenge, we often injure ourselves, and the truth is, if you're carrying around an offense, or if you're carrying around some kind of unforgiveness, some hurt that you've got going on, and you, all you're doing is damaging yourself way more than you're damaging the other person, okay? The more you carry this stuff around, the more you hurt you, and the other person's really not all that bothered by it. Someone once said, unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping that the other person dies of smoke inhalation. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's angry birds, right? 
So let me start with Isaiah chapter 1 this morning. Come now, let us settle the matter, God says. Don't go another Christmas. Don't go another day with that junk in your heart. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. And then he gives us a picture of what settling it looks like. Though your sins are like scarlet, in other words, the situation you're in, you're bleeding all over the place. You know, it's just not good. Though your sins are like scarlet, here's the opportunity in front of you. They shall be white as snow, though they are red as crimson. They shall be like wool, if you are willing and obedient. Now, if you and I were to get together in my office, and we, you know, many of you have done that with me, if, if, you, if you and I were to get together and we were to talk about your life and we were to talk about your relationships and it came up that there was someone that you needed to forgive, and this happens, you know, when I sit with people and talk with them, we'll talk about some hard things in life and all of a sudden it comes up, you know, there's a forgiveness issue, there's somebody that they're not forgiving. And when I suggest that maybe they need to forgive that person, the phrase I get once in a while is, Brett, there just are some reasons why I can't do that. I can't do that. And I want to start there because I think there are some things that we think we can't do that we can do. The song White Christmas begins with the, the line, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Some of you would say it's a dream that I'd be able to forgive them. It's pie in the sky. It's a fantasy. It's never going to happen. Brett, you don't understand. You, don't, you weren't there. I can't go there. I can't forgive them. And there are a lot of reasons that you might think that you can't forgive, but I'm just here to tell you those reasons are wrong. I want to expose some of those reasons this morning. First of all, we don't forgive because we have a wrong understanding of forgiveness. We really don't understand what it is, and we don't define it properly, and because we don't define it properly, we just don't do it. You see, we think that forgiveness is minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It isn't. It's not about saying, well, what happened is no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal, and God knows it's a big deal. He knows it's a big deal to you. So God just doesn't come around and say, hey, dude, you just need to get over whatever your problem, you know, what's your deal? Just get past it. No, it's a big deal. And, and forgiveness is not just minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It's not that. Neither is forgiveness necessarily asking you to reconcile with the person with whom you need to forgive. Now, reconciliation is always a hope, but forgiveness is not reconciliation. Somebody might say, you're asking me to go back to that person that abused me. No, forgiveness is not reconciliation, though I would reiterate reconciliation is important. We should try to do that if it's possible. But in some cases, I wouldn't even recommend that you do reconcile, at least not right now, because they may not be ready and they would just end up hurting you all over again. There's just times where that, that can't happen. So forgiveness is a one-player game. That's what I want you to understand. It, it's between you and God. And it's not about you and the condition of the relationship. It's about the condition of your heart. When we forgive, we set a prisoner free, but it's not the prisoner. The prisoner isn't the person who offended us. When we forgive, the prisoner we set free is ourselves because we're not in that prison anymore. We don't carry that baggage around anymore. That person doesn't own us anymore. So it's not necessarily about reconciliation. Some people think that the only way I can forgive is if the person comes back 
and asks for forgiveness. And we say, I'm just not going to forgive them until they come back and ask me. We look like two-year-olds, don't we? I'm just not going to do it. Now, if you would say that, here's what I would say to you. You have held yourself hostage to the very person who hurt you in the first place. You've left it up to them whether or not you can be free. And I would tell you, don't do that. See, forget what they do or do not do. It's not about that. It's about you and God and you and your own heart. Another reason people don't forgive is some people think they can't forgive because they can't forget. Some people have this unrealistic expectation that, man, I've forgiven, but I can't get over the pain and the memory of this thing. Well, you know what? You might not ever get over the memory of what it is that someone did to you. Someone right now might be thinking, well, come on, Brett, can't you be a little more positive than that? Okay, I'm positive that you might not be able to forget what somebody did to you, okay? Joyce Meyer tells a story. Many of you know of Joyce Meyer. She's written books. She's on television. She's a great Bible teacher. She tells a story publicly that, I, I, quite honestly, I'm a little shocked that she does, but I'm thankful she does because it's helpful for guys like me. She says that when she was a little girl, her dad raped her over 200 times. And in her words, not just over 200 times, she knows the exact number because she remembers in detail some of what happened to her, and she's, you know, it's, it's burned in her memory. It's just hard for her to get past. And so when she was little, she had that going on. Her life went on, and of course, she grew up to become who she is today. Many people know her, and she's very well known, and her dad never reconciled to her. In fact, they lived in another city, and one day the Lord spoke to uh, Miss Meyer and said, I want you to buy your dad a very nice house. And I want you to move him to the city where you live. And I want you to take care of him until he dies. And as you might expect, nothing inside her wanted to do that. In fact, she kind of liked the idea that he lived in another city far away from her because she didn't have to deal with him. But she was obedient. She called her dad and she said, Dad, I want to move you and Mom to the town where I live. I want to buy you a real nice place. And she bought him a very nice house and moved uh, he and her mother into it. They lived in that house for four years. He never apologized. He never said thank you. One day he called and he said, honey, could you come over? I want to talk to you. And she said he cried his eyes out and said, I wasn't man enough to admit that I had hurt you the way I did and I am so sorry. And he said, I want the Jesus that you have. And she led him to the Lord that day. And a few days later, she baptized him. And it wasn't long after that that he passed away. And she made a very shocking statement about the whole experience when she said, I'm so free from, I am so free from this offense that I can't even tell you that I wish that it had not happened. She said, to know the miracle of what God did in my life is greater than if it had not, if it had not happened at all. <laughs> and I'm telling you that God offers you something in forgiving others. And you may never forget. But you might experience a miracle in your life 
when you do it. We don't forgive because we have a poor understanding of what it looks like. The second reason I think we don't forgive is that we don't forgive because we don't think it's fair. That's so I walk out today, and they looked at me and they said, Brett, fair is where you go to judge hogs. <laughs> That's pretty good. Brett, you don't know what they did to me. It's not fair. Can I give you some advice from a friend? I'm Brett. I love you. I'm your friend. You don't want to go the fair route with God. You don't want to do it. Because if God were fair, we would be paying for our own sins. And I'm here to tell you, grace isn't fair. Grace is incredibly unfair. You don't want to go the fair route. Now, I know that it is the tendency to want to be fair. And, and that's what it feels like we should do. But thank goodness God is not fair. And that really was the whole point in Matthew 18 when Jesus is teaching and he's approached by one of his disciples. Peter comes up to him and he says, Lord, how many times, apparently somebody's ticked Peter off, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven, up to seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And this gets crazy in how this verse gets translated. One translation says 70 times seven or 490. If you look this up in Luke, it, it kind of gives you the idea that you're supposed to forgive 490 times a day. Just let me do the math for you. If, if you forgive somebody 490 times in a day, that's forgiving someone every three minutes if you don't go to sleep. Okay? That's a lot of forgiving. And he knew they weren't getting it, so he told them a story. Listen to this, this parable that Jesus tells. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I looked this up because, you, you know, weights and measures in the Bible are kind of weird things. Shekels and ephahs and, you know, different bushels, all these different things. They got denarii and talent. You know, they're hard to know. And there's different translations. There's different thoughts on them. One guy said it might be, it would, it might be 20 years of an average day laborer's wages. So I just, for fun, I just said, okay, 20 times 40,000, that's $800,000. That's a lot of money. But I found somebody else who said that if you had a talent, you were basically a millionaire. And this person's got 10,000 talents that he owes. Um, one person suggested that that might be $5 billion, okay? That's a lot of money. And by either one of those descriptions, especially the second one, that would leave us saying, man, I can't repay that kind of debt. I mean, would, would we not agree... That $5 billion is a debt that we cannot pay back. And if you would disagree with that, can I just remind you that we still owe money on this building and a check next week would be great out of you, okay? $5 billion. None of us could do that, could we? I mean, that, that's just like, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? Verse 25, since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now that's pretty severe. So the guy did what you and I would do. He, he, starts, he falls to his knees. He starts begging. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, 
We might be tempted to hear that and think, well, that's not a whole lot of money. I looked it up. It is suggested that 100 denarii is worth about $10,000. Again, it just depends on who you look up. There, there's all different values to these, but let's say $10,000. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is, yes, you've been wronged, and yes, it's pretty significant. $10,000 is a big deal, but at least it's payable. Right? If we owe $10,000, most of us, if we owe $10,000, we might not be able to reach in our pocket and produce that money, but we could go to a bank and get a note and probably over an extended period of time be able to pay back $10,000. So Jesus acknowledges that the pain you go through is real, but that it can be dealt with. But it has no comparison with the debt that we ourselves have been forgiven. And that's the point Jesus is making. But this guy is not merciful. Verse 28, the second part. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then it goes on, Jesus gives this commentary. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. All that to say, you really don't want to go the fair route on this forgiveness thing. Because we have been forgiven an inexhaustible, unpayable debt, every single one of us. And anytime we have issues with somebody else and we say we can't, it's probably because we have forgotten the magnitude of the debt that we ourselves have been forgiven. One of the reasons we don't forgive is we just don't think we can do it. It isn't that we don't agree with the Bible or with God. It's, it just feels impossible. Let me respond to that. You're right. You're right. Uh, on your own, to some degree, it's exactly right. In your own strength, you can't do it. But what I want to say to you is this. You have an enemy. I have an enemy. We, he's lying to us right now. He's prowling, he seeks to destroy us and everything that's precious to us, and he does it through lies, many of which we buy into. One of them is, you can't forgive them. You can't forgive them. And when we measure things by our own abilities, he's right. But we're never to measure things according to our own abilities. That, that never works. We have to measure according to what God's going to do inside of us. See, the truth is this, it can happen if God gives us the strength to do it. One of your favorite verses, some of you, I know this because you've told me, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Implication, there's, God doesn't give you the strength, you might not be able to do it. But you need to understand that God is making an appeal to reason with you. He says, come on, let's settle this once and for all. Let's get this over with. I'll give you the strength to do it, but let's get this done. So let's say that you are willing to take this journey and you're going to forgive. Let's just say that you're, 
you're willing to say, okay, Brett, you've got my attention. I, I hear what you're saying. I would like to have a white Christmas. I would, like to, I would like to not have any relational baggage. I'd like to forgive. I don't want all that hanging over me. I want to offer you two thoughts that are going to be your thoughts for going to that place. The first one is this. Here's the first thought. What you will need to do is going to be counterintuitive and countercultural. You're not going to want to do it. You're going to think it's kind of crazy to do it. You're going to think, no, that doesn't make any sense to do it. See, if you, if you were to listen to your friends, if you were to go tell your friends, this is what our preacher said we should do this morning. He says, I need to forgive that guy. They're going to say, no, nah, you know what? That's crazy. Why would you do that? They're not going to agree with what I'm about to say. But God is inviting you into a new reality and a different way for you to think. I'll say it this way. You're not even going to feel like doing it. And our problem is that we always wait for feelings to lead and we wait for choices to follow. And when you do that, you will always live according to the reality of this world. I'm telling you, I'm Brett, I'm your friend. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. That's not how you want to go through life. Here's what I would have you to, this is a principle I would want you to know. Choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. If you make the choice to forgive, you get to live what I would call a snow globe kind of life. Now, I love snow globes. I don't know about you, but I think one of my favorite things about Christmas is that you start seeing snow globes. Snow globes are kind of fun to look at because you can just dream. You know, I, I can look at that and say, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I don't live there. I wish I lived there. I mean, some snow globes, this one has a nativity scene in it. Some of them have mountainscapes and, you know, those houses and snowflakes. There's all kinds of things in there. But you know what? I don't live there. I'll just shake this up and dream that I live there. And we convince ourselves that this is just going to be a little globe on my desk, not a place that I could ever actually live. I'm telling you, that's a lie. God invites you into the snow globe. God invites you into a world that is different than the modern world you're living in that everybody else tells you you've got to stay in. Here's the secret to snow globe living. You have to be obedient. I take you back to the verse that we opened with. Come now, let's settle this. I can make you white if you will obey. Now, why do you need obedience? You need obedience when you didn't really want to do it. You only need obedience when it's something that you don't want to do. If you, if you want to do it, obedience is really pretty easy. Obedience is something we do when, when our feelings are saying, uh-uh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I'm not doing that. See, we too often live by our feelings, and when we do that, we live trapped, chained, imprisoned to the very person that we're withholding our forgiveness from. And you think by doing so, you're hurting them, and they're somewhere off having a great Christmas, not worried about you at all. You're all churned up inside. So what do we do? We obey. Obedience helps you to get from the outside to the inside of the snow globe where you can have a white Christmas, where you can have all those things that you dreamed about, where when you look at that, you go, man, I wish I lived in a place like that. Well, God makes that possible when you forgive, when you're obedient. 
It's the argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25 when it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. In other words, what looks dumb to us. God, why on earth would you ask somebody to do that? that, that just, I, I can't do that. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. But the Bible would say, well, yeah, it looks dumb to you. It probably looks dumb. But when you go and explore it and you look inside, you're going to realize that it is smarter than the wisdom of man. It makes better sense if you really look at it. Because the world's saying, you know what? Fight for what's yours. You've got to fight and scratch and claw, and you don't forgive anybody, and you remember everything, and you hold grudges. That's what the world says. Because to the world, it looks like weakness when you forgive. Someone will say, well, Brett, you just want me to be a doormat. You just, you're just asking me to let that person walk all over me. Why should I do that? That's weak. No. What looks like the weakness of God is, the Bible says, actually stronger than man's strength. You get inside of the snow globe, you win. It goes on to say that God chooses what looks like foolish things to shame the wisdom of the wise. That God chooses weak and shameful things, weak things to shame the strong. God chooses lowly things, despised things, the things that you really don't want to do to nullify the things that are in some cases. That's my hope today for us is that we would experience freedom, that we would know the white Christmas, that we would have this new reality of God's white Christmas, the snow globe. Now, if as I'm saying all this, there's a pushback for you, I would simply ask you one question. I ask it humbly, I ask it respectfully. But if you're pushing back on all this right now, I would just ask you this question. How is it working out for you to hold a grudge? Does it really make you feel all that much better? Are things going all that much smoother? How's it working out? So why not obey? Why not try God's way? Now here's, here's the catch to doing things God's way. You're, you're probably not going to feel like doing it, but we do them anyway. We're not going to feel like it, but we make a choice to do it. Again, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice Choices lead, feelings follow. Don't wait for the feeling. So what are those things that are so countercultural and so counterintuitive and difficult and you're not going to want to do them? Well, here's the first one. Get ready. You're not going to like it. He mistreated you. You've been mistreated. You've been lied about. Somebody been telling fibs about you. Somebody trying to make you look bad. Somebody said things that aren't true. You've been misrepresented. Somebody stole your idea. Somebody got promoted at work over you and they did it by nefarious means. The Bible says pray for them. Are you kidding me? Pray for them? Okay, I'll pray for them. May the flies of a thousand camels find their armpits. That's my prayer for them. I'll pray for them. No, no. <laughs> Not talking about that kind of prayer. It's fun, isn't it, when things aren't real going real good and people start offering you advice and you're having trouble with somebody and somebody says, you just need to get a Bible verse. That's what you need. You need a Bible verse to apply to this whole thing. And you say, okay, I'll get a Bible verse. How about Psalm 58, 6? Lord, break the teeth of the wicked. 
How's that for a Bible verse? Jesus said, no. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. No, no. We're going to do snow globe living. Snow globe living is different than that. It's different than what you've heard. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You would be amazed what happens when you begin to pray for someone that you can't stand. You'd be amazed what happens when you begin to pray for someone that you need to forgive. Here's what I'll tell you. You're praying for them, may not change them, but you're praying for them will change you. The second thing that is countercultural and counterintuitive is, and, and again, you're not going to feel like doing this, but get ready. Bless them. And the word bless is specifically talking about the words that we speak. Literally, we are to speak well of them. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't curse them. Sometimes we forgive, but this is what it sounds like. I'll forgive them, but they're the most low-down, dirty son of a gun. But I forgave them. No, bless them. The Bible says, but to, to, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemy, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, praise for those who mistreat you. Romans takes it a step further, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. I would ask again, how's your way working? And once again, you can call me all day long and, and, and talk to me about all the stuff that you do and how good you are and how well you behave and you can point to your outside and how nice it looks and how good and pure it is. But when someone lies about you, when someone does something wrong, do you pray for them? Do you forgive them? Or do you run them down? Do you talk about them or do you hate them on the inside where nobody sees? Or maybe you do find it in your heart to forgive them, but then when somebody asks you about it, you start in, that no good, dirty rascal. The Bible says bless them. Here's the third one. You're not going to want to do it. It's counterintuitive. I'm not asking you to like it. I'm asking you to obey it. I'm not asking you to want to do it. You're not going to want to do it. I'm asking you to obey it. I'm not asking you to feel it. Well, Brett, I just don't feel that. No, you're not going to feel this. This is something you obey because Jesus takes this to a whole new level and you think this following thing Jesus is going to say is easy. It's not easy. Guess again. Do good to them. Wait a minute. Are you serious? Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. Yeah. Yeah. Romans says do not repay anyone evil for evil. Two wrongs never make a right. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, not just, not just the people you like. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, get out of God's way and let him deal with it. Okay? He knows all about justice. He knows who deserves what. Let him handle it. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. That's God saying, get out of my way, let me do my job. On the contrary, here's your role. 
I'll take care of justice. Here's what I want you to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm just going to say it again, and I know you get sick and tired of hearing this. I don't care whether you're sick and tired of hearing it. This is true. Looking spiritual is easy. Being spiritual is hard. I'm not asking you to like this. I don't like this. I'm asking you to obey it. And I'm telling you that if you do, you will jump into the snow globe, into a reality that is white. You will experience a white Christmas without a bunch of junk hanging over your head. And that person may never make it right with you, but you will be in a new reality. I want to finish this morning by telling you a story, and I'll close. I want to tell you the story about a young man named Kevin. His friends called him KK. KK did not have any legs in high school. He, um, he would prank substitute teachers. He would take his leg off in the middle of class and wig out his teacher and, you know, play, just do joke around with kids. And a friend asked him one time, how, KK, how can you do that? You, you're not bitter. Why are you not bitter? KK said, because I'm a Christian. And he told this story. When Kevin was eight or nine, he had a dad who beat him. His dad didn't just beat him, he beat him with brass knuckles. And so at eight or nine, he and his older brother decided that they'd had enough, they were going to run away from home. They decided they were going to jump a train. They got to this train, it's moving slow, boxcars open. Big brother jumps up into the train, going to help little brother get up into the train. Little brother tries to jump up into the train, doesn't make it. Little big brother doesn't let go of his hand. He swings up underneath the train car runs over his legs at the knees cuts off his legs at the knees he spent the next few months in rehab at a hospital where they found out that his dad was beating him and they prosecuted his father his dad was going to go away now and in steps a christian man who offers him foster care and eventually adopts him and that man led kk to christ and K.K. would say, Jesus changed my life. He made every bit of the pain go away. Now think about that. Brass knuckles, no legs. You know, this high school kid's not going to play sports. And yet he has the capacity to not let that be the, identif- uh, the, the defining moment in his life. Instead, he chooses to have an attitude of joy of peace, of service, of love, of forgiveness. KK's living in the snow globe. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says, get rid of bitterness. Well, God, that's not easy. God would say, I know it's not easy, and I'm not done yet. Get rid of bitterness, get rid of anger, rage, malice. Well, God, that's not easy. It's not easy to get rid of those. I know it's not easy. I'm not done yet. Be kind and compassionate. I can't. You're right. I know you can't. Here's how. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Brett, what's the secret? Here's the second truth. You can't do this without God. 
You can't do this without God's power working in you. And I would just say this humbly. I, I don't mean any disrespect by what I'm about to say, but this is really the truth. If you can't do what I'm talking about today, there is a chance that you have either never been forgiven by God or you have forgotten how great the debt you owed to God when he died on a cross for you. You have forgotten that you've been forgiven. Because the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. So what's the debt that you need to forgive for somebody else? Probably not what you owe Christ. That should humble us all. Let's pray. God, we, we are in this room. We have come to worship you because you came as a humble baby. You would live a perfect life. You would be abused. You would be misunderstood. You would be falsely accused. And you would eventually die a horrible, humiliating, excruciatingly painful death on a cross all of that to pay our debt. You didn't have to. We didn't deserve it. And willingly you did that. And how in the world can we look you in the eye and tell you we're not going to forgive somebody? And Lord, in our world, it, 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 it all comes cr crashing in and we can sit in here on a Sunday morning and it feels spiritual in here and we feel close to you in here and we... You know, this all makes sense we're in the room but then when we walk outside and we're called we know you're calling us to do this stuff and it's so counterintuitive it's so against everything that we feel and it's certainly against everything everybody else is telling us but God in humility when we bow our head and we say God it doesn't make any sense it's hard for me to do I can't do this without you but I want to forgive them it's then and only then that we will experience this Christmas, a white Christmas. So Father, in all humility, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for the gift of Jesus on a cross. It is a debt we cannot repay. What a gift. Help us to now be givers of forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray.